Welcome to the Built on Purpose podcast, where on each episode, we interview exceptional leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, philosophers, and some straight up interesting people to explore their outlook on life, work, and leadership. And now, here's your host, CEO and co-founder of Scouts, Max Hansen. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to episode 59 of the Built on Purpose podcast brought to you by Scouts. I'm your host, Max Hansen, the CEO of Scouts, where we find purpose-aligned and performance-proven leaders. Today, our guest is Colton Griffin, CEO of Flores Software, a leading supply chain management and seed-to-sale tracking software solutions for the cannabis, CBD, and hemp verticals. Today, we talk about what it means to be a seed-to-sale ERP system, the challenges in building a software company in such a rapid changing industry and where he believes the industry is going and much more. Look forward to listening to this episode. Colton, welcome to the Built on Purpose podcast. Thanks for having me, Max. Awesome. Well, let's, uh, let's start with a, kind of an easy question and, and something I think everybody will want to know. Uh, tell us what your company, Flores Software, is today. Like in layman's terms, what is enterprise supply chain software? Uh, well, we help our clients track all of the inventory, all the sales orders, all the purchasing, all the plants to the growth cycle, and then all the retail operations. So we service cultivation, manufacturing, distribution, and retail point of sale, uh, full seed to sell software um, to really just help our customers uh, understand what's happening within the four walls of their facility uh, and get product out the door. At the end of the day, uh, capturing all those business processes and helping them uh, stay on top of everything and keep the compliance in check as well. Give some examples, and you you talked about them there a little bit, but just so the listeners can kind of understand, what problems does your product solve? Like specific problems you talked about, you've named like six or seven, but just give us some specific examples. Sure. Pretty common across everybody uh, prior to retail is uh, making sure that they can properly fulfill their sales orders. So uh, how much inventory do I have on hand to sell? And then how quickly I can pack it up and get it on a shipment and ship it out. Uh, make sure the right thing gets to the right customer at the right time. Uh, at the end of the day, every single one of our customers are selling something and we're helping them sell that a little bit better. Uh, a little bit further back, you know, all the inventory management, understanding you know, what they have on hand, uh, what happened to it if, uh, if something is off, um, the cost of it. So a lot of the CPA controllers use our software to understand their cost of goods sold and the margins, uh, help them be more profitable and make better decisions for production planning and for, uh, you know, for their, for the business. Uh, cultivators uh, often, you know, they just need visibility to what's happening in the grow, um, uh, you know, how much yield they're getting uh, off the crop each cycle. Uh, same for manufacturers, like they want to see the yields coming out of their traction processes. Uh, and of course, retailers, uh, they want to get the customer in and out of the door uh, happy with uh, as much as they can get in their basket. So um, it's a pretty broad product. Uh, we have a lot of customers that, you know, have multiple types of businesses underneath their operations. So the vertically integrated operators, uh, and that's really our sweet spot, spot working with people with, you know, two, three licenses up to 50 uh, and, um, you know, single state or multi-state, uh, we work across the country. Uh, we also work for hemp, uh, so the hemp operators, you know, really are doing the same thing. Cannabis operators are just without as much of the compliance headaches, uh, and they're able to ship stuff across the country. So, um, for that, that industry, we're really focused on the, the mid tier of the supply chain, the folks doing, you know, 
thousands of pounds of biomass through extraction or making making products. And um, some people own those farms and some people buy buy their products uh, from you know various farmers. Got it. And thanks for sharing that. And just uh, maybe back it up just a little bit. Um, how did you land in the cannabis industry? I know you and I had a chance to talk and I've you know read on some profiles, but I think it's fascinating how uh, people, you know, the, we kind of have the same story uh, as you, probably almost the same time frame. but tell, tell us how Flores, you know, started that pivot, um, what were you guys doing and then what, you know, kind of, how did you get into cannabis? Yeah, I have a pretty cool background in just traditional enterprise supply chains. So think, you know, half million to a million and a half square foot warehouses, a couple hundred people moving a lot of product through. Uh, really, you know, my specialty, all my career has been applying software to uh, supply chain operations, be it warehousing or transportation or order management across, you know, the whole company. Um, we were out in California uh, for a meeting that uh, took a direction we didn't expect. And uh uh, I happened to connect with some folks in the industry back in 2017. And actually, when we're recording this, this is, uh, it's our four-year anniversary of being deployed in the industry. So early 17, we we um, connected into it. We did a little bit of due diligence, realized there was a massive need for people to better manage their operations upstream. The point-of-sale market was pretty crowded, but everything before it gets to retail uh, was really running on uh, you know, spreadsheets and sticky notes. Uh, still a lot of it is, and we're still helping people every day get off of that and into a real system that they can have actual controls and a little bit more sanity to, to be able to run and keep up with everything as they're, as they're scaling up. Awesome. And congrats on your four years in the cannabis industry. I think anybody that is in the cannabis industry, they're like dog years. So you're like, oh, yeah. 28, you're like 28 years. Uh, so congrats on, on uh, coming this far. And then tell me, this might be from your perspective, so I don't expect, you know, any kind of cheesy sales lines or anything like that, but what makes your product better than other pieces of software in in the same space? Because I I know one of the things that we talked about and that you pointed out, and one of the reasons why you made that pivot is you started to look around and there really wasn't a lot of great pieces of software that were delivering the outcomes and in the uh, solution that you guys ultimately are. But Tell me about kind of what what you think is, is your differentiating factors compared to the other pieces of software you saw. Yeah, I mean, you know, for a long time, the the tongue and the the easy answer was our software works. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> the uh, not to be a knock uh, on some of our competitors, but you know, we we take it seriously. We're a very product minded company, uh, and when we deliver uh, the product, uh, it does work and achieves what we we say it's going to achieve. And that's not the case always in, you know, in the tech world and cannabis and, and maybe outside of cannabis. Um, but the devil's all in the details, uh, right? Like uh, I, we have super, like really strong integration capabilities uh, that help us tie into other pieces of software that may be needed, e-commerce or uh, finance systems uh, or just reporting. Uh, that's a huge differentiator. We have a mobile um, scanning app that helps uh, our larger customers uh, really do everything uh, very accurately and efficiently uh, at scale. So packing orders, adjusting inventory, counting inventory, um, those sort of actions that are repeatable that you want to use a, a scanner for versus sitting at the computer and typing it in. Um, you know, and then, you know, our uh, there's so much functionality and features in the software. I think one of our, our special skill sets is helping our customers identify what they actually need and, and, and then adopt the software in a very intelligent way 
and continue to um, you know further adopt it as as they're growing. So we just bring an expertise uh, of how this looks, you know, in state uh, to customers. And so when we engage with them, it's not we don't just hand them the keys and and say figure it out. You know, we it's a pretty high touch engagement for um, you know the kickoff through the early implementation, and then you know we regularly check in for success and make sure they're um, they're you know really hitting their goals. Um, yeah, those are probably some of the, the key highlights. Yeah, and some one of the things that you pointed out, uh, I think the first three customers that you had, I'm just going off of my memory. My memory some, sometimes isn't that great, so I apologize. But I think it was in California, Florida, and then another state. So you're you you started with three different states. Was it, is there a lot of customization based on state regulations and things like that? And did that help you really lay the foundation for for building a great piece of software? Totally. I think, you know, first of all, we had seen what this type of software looks like outside the industry. So, you know, we understood the core concepts of what not just this meant to like move 10 orders a week, but to move 10,000 orders a day. Uh, right. So those are the type of customers we were working with. So like, what are the pieces, like, how do you, del- uh, how do you architect the data? How do you architect screens, the workflows to really get there knowing that, you know, um, you know, one of our first customers is going public this, this, uh, I think this month for almost $2 billion, right? And we've seen them grow from a 10,000 square foot uh, growth to a million uh, square feet of cultivation just in Florida. Uh, it's been really, really amazing seeing, seeing that. And so, you know, we, we had, to, had to think of that uh, early on. Um, yeah. Well, and, so, and one of the other things, and, and I don't keep, I don't mean going back and back on this, but I think it's uh, something that people want to understand because I think everybody's always curious on how people get to where they're at today. And, you know, it looks like, you know, I just, I've browsed your background and I can't kind of see what you've done and you're probably pretty humble about it, but being kind of an expert in supply chain analytics and, and, you know, doing a lot of uh, process improvement projects and things like that. Um, how did your experience really build up in or in, in set you up to be, you know, the expert in building a piece of software like that? Cause I think, like I said, you're very humble. I think a lot of it just, you know, you've almost even forgot about, but I think it's interesting to understand the foundation, like what, what pieces of experience do you think were the most critical in order to set you and your team up, uh, to being able to build and customize software in this, in the industry? Yeah, there's definitely some some asymmetry and in information there, right? If you haven't been in it, you don't you don't always know what you don't know. And specifically sort of to the point of like the state customization versus configuration, you know, coming out of um, a product world or a software world or an implementation world where projects would take, you know, six to 18 months to launch, you know, we've always prioritized configuration over customization. So um, when we deploy state by state, built the system in a way that uh, essentially, either the system toggles on and off different features and functionality to conform to mandates um, uh, at the state, and then, or the customer can can also dial that in further to meet their needs, not just for compliance, but also for um, workflows uh, that are specific. And so, you know, I think a lot of what we're doing, you know, our implementation is not is not typing in a bunch of data into a spreadsheet. I mean, maybe it was really early, but we've coded most of that out. Uh, our implementation is teaching people about the, the core principles of how to best manage uh, their business in conjunction with software. What are your naming conventions? What are your, how do your SOPs interact with like touches on the screen? You know, what, like, um, how do you locate things? How do you, uh, 
how do you also like use reporting and data um, that are captured by virtue of just running your business to then make better decisions on, you know, what do I, you know, what's out of stock? What's almost out of stock? What are my reorder points? What's expiring? You know, what, what are my margins on, you know, different product lines or different customers? Like, what are my top performing reps? What are my top performing channels? Um, so these are all the things that by the virtue of getting all of your operations on a platform where you're doing day-to-day activity, you know, in conjunction with a piece of software, you're building this data set. So you can look back over the last quarter, last year, or last week and, you know, and, and look or real time and forward looking, think about you know, what decisions you need to make to, um, you know, to be profitable and to be able to, to meet your customer's um, you know, promise, meet your promise to your customer. And what I, what lessons have you learned from working in cannabis? I know that you know there's a lot of this that that applies. A lot of the you know kind of technology and foundational stuff that you're talking about applies, and then you you kind of had to figure it out. But what specifically uh, was your biggest learning lesson uh, when you're working in, now that you've worked in cannabis for you know, a few years now? So, so you might think that cannabis is chaotic, but it's much much more chaotic than you ever would think. <laughs> so, uh, you know. Um, even our largest customers are startups sort of at the end of the day. So, uh, you know, it's constant change, constant, constant noise. Um, You know, traditionally in in most industries, you know, if a change is coming, there's time to plan for it, test for it, implement it. Uh, In this industry, sometimes you just log into your screen and the state track and trace is updated. So, uh, or you get a notice and saying, "Hey, uh, new testing requirements coming uh, next Wednesday." Right? And, and, and so, you know, um, I I don't think I I I would have considered or I could have imagined how chaotic and how um, rapidly like this industry is just constantly changing and how dynamic it is. Uh, and, you know, and there's plenty of, of disappointments along the way around people and turnover. There's tons of turnover in these businesses, um, which creates even more uh, challenges, you know, to get to get products from point A to point B. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's so exciting. It's fun. So all of the excitement, like kind of outweighs all of this turbulence. But, you know, if, you, if you're not in the industry and you're thinking about getting in, you just have to know that, you um, uh, not to expect it and not to take things personally. And, uh, you know, you can't be, get upset about this stuff. It's just sort of the hand we've been dealt things in this industry can sometimes be, you know, five times more complicated and <laughs> then, than they would elsewhere. Um, you know, yeah, it's, it's a little crazy. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that's, a, that aligns with, uh, we use green flower to kind of educate everybody in our company about cannabis. And so they're, yeah. I look at them as a uh, great company, by the way, but I look at them as, um, you know, they're just telling us uh, kind of what they're seeing in the industry because there's not a lot of data. But one of the things that they're, they talk about is there is a tremendous amount of uh, turnover just because, you know, things change so quickly and it's just not an industry that's for, you know, for everybody. So that just kind of confirms you know, for you guys, you're having to change software and do a lot of coding and stuff like that on all these changes that are thrown at you from, you know, all directions, uh, from different States at all times. What would, what would people not be surprised to learn about, you know, how similar cannabis is to all other industries? Well, the fundamentals of the business still are true. Uh, so, you know, margin, you know, shrink, uh, inventory turns, 
uh, trying to hit that perfect order uh, in your order fulfillment, uh, you know, the ability to, to maintain product on the shelf, um, you know, like, like all the fundamentals of running a business still apply here. It doesn't, it's not, it's not like cannabis is really at the end of the day, any different than any other business. And so, um, uh, so maybe sometimes I, I feel like, you know, uh, uh, those fundamentals are sometimes lost um, uh, or, or, you know, people are so excited that they are not looking at it, but, you know, you still have to be um, paying attention to all of that. Yeah. You know, people used to ask me that question and I would sound so dumb, but, but I'd mean it is what I've learned from all these professionals that I've had the uh, chance to uh, work with is, you know, growing good quality flour at scale is not as easy as people think. Um, no, I mean, and it's incredibly it, technical. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it has a, sh- you know, has a shelf life that, you know, and there's a lot of things that go into that, which I know your software uh, kind of helps handle. So, uh, and this is kind of going back, we might've covered this a little bit, but when, when you think about what, what has been the, the one biggest challenge of building the software, you named a lot with all these different changes and stuff that's thrown at you just, you know, Hey, tomorrow this is, this is happening. But like, <laughs> what's been the one biggest challenge in building Flores just as a business and, and as a leader? Well, from just a purely software perspective, uh, the, like, I can't overstate how deficient metric is as a piece of software being sold and, you know, and deployed across the country from the state track and trace system, uh, from a communication standpoint, from, uh, uh, just a coding standard standpoint, from a documentation standpoint, from a testing standpoint, from a change management standpoint, uh, I literally feel like we could have built you know, like, uh, we could, we could have developed that Corona vaccine in the same amount of level of effort, uh, that we use to code and make up for all the deficiencies, uh, in that integration, uh, or in that software. It's, it's really just mind blowing how, how bad it is, especially given the amount of money they're making, the amount of money they've raised. Um, you know, like what state mandated software system, you know, regularly goes down, uh, or has back of house outages on the API, deploys things willy-nilly with no communication, no communication plan. And, um, you know, like there's not even response codes when you send some pieces of data to it. So you have to, so, you know, if, if your issue is I can't handle the load and my system crashes all the time, like maybe we could uh, follow basic coding, you know, sort of principles. And when I send you something, you acknowledge that I send it to you instead of making me send it to you and then go fetch it to make sure it's actually there. Right. So um, that's to me been one of the biggest technical hurdles that we've, we've really solved. And I think we've solved really well, but the amount of engineering has gone into, it's been kind of crazy. Um, you know, everything else is, is fun, right? We love the product. We love working with customers. And, you know, I will actually piggybacking on your point earlier about the, the complexity to grow to grow. I will also say, if you go into an extraction lab and you talk to the people running those machines, you will quickly, and I have an engineering degree, and I'll quickly be outside of my skill set and, and role. I mean, like the level of intelligence and the level of like technical expertise that goes into like this extraction and the methodologies and the formulations is just like, it's, it's mind blowing to me. It's, it's really impressive science. So that's probably another uh, hidden gem. I, I didn't exactly come to mind when you asked that question, but I it, a lot of respect for people that, um, that are, have do that. It's, it's really impressive. 
No, thanks for sharing that. And and then what um what's what has been the biggest opportunity to date? Just you know, kind of the way the customers that you met early on that that got you into the industry, or what what do you think has been the biggest uh, opportunity to date or opportunities? But I'd say you know, focus on what you think might be the one. Yeah, I mean, you know, professionally, just learning uh, so much so quickly and and building this has been just just amazing. I think for me, the biggest opportunity this has created is as a voice to start um, driving this this uh, this industry in a direction in, in which it's like a positive outcome for for all stakeholders, right? So our ability to make this work, to engage with our customers, and make them successful. And you know, a lot of things we're um, we're working on right now are around you know sustainability and equity, and you know, and and just helping empower you know small and medium sized businesses all the way through the large to be competitive. And so for me, like that opportunity to be part of this and this movement, that's like absolutely transforming so many aspects of of, of our society uh, for for the positive, um, both in cannabis and in hemp uh, now, and and it continues to unfold. I mean, it's like. Sometimes you're just happy to be here. Yeah, you know Incredible. that's awesome. And, and out of those things, and again, I, I don't mean to make you repeat yourself, but I think these are really important things for people to hear. Uh, what are you working on that gives you the most energy? So you know, a lot of focus on you know all the mechanics of taking a brand to market and helping it scale, right? So. Um, dialing in, you know, the whole journey of a product from, you know, from formulation and manufacturing to distributing, not just that first order, but that first, you know, 50 stores, 100 stores, 500 stores you're getting into. To me, like, uh, it's just incredible, like working through that journey with our customers. Um, and we work with a lot of, a lot of folks that have like, you know, five to 10 X the business in under a year. Uh, and, and to me, that's, that's most rewarding to me is just, it's just engaging with them and seeing it all work. It's, it's awesome. God, it just hit me that, you know, you get a view into their software because you're, you know, building it and maintaining it, but you get to see it grow. You get to see these companies grow. I just kind of put that together as you're saying that that's uh, that would give you a lot of energy knowing that you know, your piece of software is, is helping explosive growth happen and really helping people's dreams come true. It's cool seeing that that tech become you know a supervisor, become a manager, become a senior manager, become a director, and like that's the that's the opportunity in this industry is for people to like get in, you know, make an impact, like survive in this really dynamic, chaotic kind of an industry, but like you know stay focused on their goal and then like professionally just rock it up, you know, and and really, um, really it's really really cool to see you know. Um, the folks we work with just succeed and super it's very rewarding yeah how how crowded is the the space for you now um and it sounds like you got kind of in relatively early uh but in your kind of from your perspective how crowded is the space uh for you with these with software much more crowded than it was a couple of years ago i'll say that uh you know it doesn't I hate to say the barrier of entry to like stand up a web page and like maybe you know a simple app is not that big um, you know, the, so, you know, all the time we hear about like some random company that we've never heard of, um, you know, like in the mix or in a conversation and, uh, I don't know, I, a lot of it's noise. Um, some of it you have to take seriously, but I think we spend more time focused on the customer and the solution and what we already have is a pretty big roadmap. It's validated by our experience working in the industry and outside the industry. And we don't, 
you know, and so much of our competition is just trying to keep up or maybe they're focused on just one piece of what we do and we're able to, to, to give a more holistic uh, solution to our customers that, you know, it's, it's crowded, but it's software, the whole, uh, everything in software is crowded uh, at the end of the day. So. Yeah, I know when, when I, you know, read on your, you know, kind of the seed to sale concept, like, you know, building yeah. something that's helping. I mean, that there's a lot that goes into that, that, you know, you just can't stand up a standard piece of software and add a couple of features to it. So there's a lot of depth. Yeah. 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 Uh, based on your subject matter expertise, where do you think, uh, this is a big question. So I, I, I just love just some, some input on it, but where do you think the cannabis industry is headed based on kind of what you can see? Cause you have a pretty unique perspective. I mean, you, you see these companies that are growing quickly, you have customers in a lot of different States, but where as a whole, where do you see the industry? And it could be cannabis, hemp, it could be all CBD, all of it together. How, where, what do you see? So, you know, um, I, as the market matures, brand differentiation matters a lot and the ability to honor the, the promise of your brand, like in the most basic sense, having the product on the shelf and the customer wants it and having and allowing them to repeat buy it uh, is incredibly important, right? You see early markets where it doesn't really matter because everything just sells out because you don't have any choice, but choice, you know, um, reinforces like the business fundamentals behind it and the, and the need to connect with consumers. So I see, I mean, I see the industry, it's, it feels that sometimes like this industry is mature or maturing, but there's still uh, like the amount of growth ahead of us is, is really mind boggling. Um, you know, if you look at the number of retail stores actually out there, if you look at like the tens of millions of people who don't have any meaningful access to, to buy this product, if you look at how, you know, relatively immature, like the products are on the market still. I mean, as far as like um, knowing what to expect when you're buying the product uh, and, um, and the still even science, right. About the terpene profiles and cannabinoids and how they, you know, interact with people's body chemistry to, um, to produce, you know, like a more euphoric or more, you know, relaxing or a hunger inducing or a hunger reducing, right. Uh, in fact, like there's still so much there. There's so much unknown. Um, I think this industry is going to kind of, just continue to be a chaotic, uh, fast growth, um, a little bit turbulent, uh, you know, environment for the next couple of years. And, you know, long-term, uh, you know, brands will probably be uh, reliant on, you know, well-oiled distributors to move product at scale. It's much more efficient than owning your own fleet um, or trying to drive it to your own dispensaries. I, I feel like manufacturing will continue to be specialized. Um, it's just, it is, it is an art. It's not just a, it's not just a turnkey facility. I feel like cultivation will be split between, you know, large scale, efficient, you know, mass market cultivation versus, you know, smaller craft. Um, I love the concept of vertical integration. If you own retail, because you can have sort of a, a store brand and you get full margins on that product. Um, you know, delivery is here to stay. Uh, all the modern retail experiences that, that, I mean, we're really setting the bar for, I mean, because we're building it now on the buy online pickup and store, the reserve ahead, uh, um, the, you know, the on-demand delivery. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I think the beauty about what we're doing, both from what we do as a software, but also what a lot of the things that this is, the industry is doing is that we're architecting what, you know, a, a consumer product industry of the future looks like um, by the virtue of just building it now uh, and not having a hundred years of legacy processes, opinions, and software to weigh you down. Um, you know, the only thing that, that really 
stifles any innovation in this industry is regulations. And, you know, and sometimes that forces kind of novel innovations to, to happen. Uh, you know, so I don't know, it's, it's really, it's really interesting. I think there's, there's room for just tons of, tons of sizes of businesses. Um, I don't, I don't have a fear of a bunch of people being wiped out overnight, but you know, one wrong regulatory move could do that. Right. Uh, if you look at today, how burdensome it is for a legitimate small business to stand up uh, and, and get operating. Uh, and then if you opened up federal legalization and allowed everybody that has tens and hundreds of millions of dollars of capital to just own the entire market, then we kind of force, um, you know, it, it would be a disservice. Um, so, yeah. 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 No, I think you're right. I mean, the supply demand issue has been so tilted one direction, it will eventually you know, kind of level itself off. And I think some, uh, some other factors will start playing in, uh, especially when it comes to CBD. I don't, I don't claim to be an expert necessarily, but when the FDA starts getting involved in stuff, it's going to make it a lot more difficult. I think for some of these companies to, to operate, um, mm-hmm. so that, that will be, uh, that will be an interesting, uh, interesting time. So I, I would expect that to start happening pretty quickly here. All those standards are coming our way. So, right, GMP, the food food safety um, standards, the OSHA standards. If I mean, you know, like all the things that um, traditional businesses, you know, have to deal with as far as documentation and quality and um, you know consistency are all coming. Uh, and you know, we've industry sort of has this early um, segment of this industry is not you know, under the, I guess, purview of the federal government because it's federally illegal. So some of these things aren't not, you know, mandated because they just aren't reaching their hands into it yet. But like quickly, those will be here. And um, I would encourage people to be thinking about how to prepare for them um, early because uh, uh, it's important. Uh, And, you know, and like you can't pretend like that stuff is not coming. You know, the interesting thing, when you say that, uh, what goes through my head, and it's kind of reminding me of something one of our uh, prior guests, Fife Simington, talked about, if the if the federal government was involved from the beginning, we probably wouldn't have even gotten as far as we're at as, a, as an industry, um, which is you know kind of an interesting thing to say. And no knock on our government, but it just introduces a lot of barriers that that you know most people can't overcome unless you have a bunch of money in order to do it. Yeah, I mean... You know, I, I don't, federal government doesn't, you know, generally get as detailed into the, uh, the local, um, you know, T's and C's that, that people have to jump through. I mean, it's more about like general safety standards and quality standards, such as like knowing what your food product that you're ingesting is coming from and that it was produced in a safe and effective manner. Uh, and, you know, some sign off and documentation to prove that you said you did what you said you did. You know, I, when I look at like, all, and we work in you know about 17 states, uh, at least 13 of them cannabis, the rest hemp. Um, obviously, some hemp clients are also in cannabis client, uh, states. Um, you know, the biggest barrier for these operations to get up is, is generally at the state level or the local level. Uh, it's um, you know, like I, I know people that have MBAs or 20, 30 years of business experience that say like getting through an application to stand up their business was the hardest thing they've ever done in their career. Uh, which is crazy because, you know, um, it's just like, you know, security plan and all the environmental plans and, the um, you know, like, and like the application paperwork and, you know, look at this whole cottage industry of people making millions and millions of dollars, like charging people for 
you know, licensing fee, licensing consulting. Uh, and then, you know, some states have decided to make a, a limited license model. So, you know, then there's a hyper competitive application process. So you spend, you know, a godly amount of money and you don't even, you know, don't even have a realistic chance of, you know, it's only 40 licenses. I mean, how many, you know, it's only 40 for a state of millions of people, right. With a demand of, of millions of people. Um, it's, I don't know. It's crazy. I, we love working like, like Arizona, you know, wonderful state to do business in, um, you know, they have a kind of a fairly intelligent licensing model. I mean, if Arizona was, was merged with like Oklahoma, which is, which is crazy. Oklahoma is like probably the best place to stand up a business. I mean, right. A couple thousand dollars, pay an application fee, make sure you, you, you know, your, your basic occupancy stuff is checked and then just go. Um, and I think it's kind of embarrassing to say that like, uh, you know, states like Massachusetts and California, which, you know, their heart is definitely in the right spot. And, you know, 60, 70 plus percent of the population, you know, has voted um, for legalization and wants this stuff to be there. And we can't get out of our own way in a state like Oklahoma, you know, kind of just flip the switch and said, run with it. And the outcomes have been good. I mean, right. I mean, I, you know, there, safety standards for the consumer are important, but like, uh, you know, those can be implemented without all the red tape to just get the business up. And, you know, if you look at the state of California with what 70, 80% of the industry is still not in the regulated market. It's just a huge barrier to get there. Um, and, uh, I don't know. I think, I think when we talk about equity and we talk about like wanting to make this industry work, if we really want to do that, we need to be thinking about our state and local, um, processes uh, to help people get into business, right? And lowering those barriers. I mean, taxes is the other thing, but taxes are taxes. You can just build that into your model. Um, you know, the, the barrier to stand up the business is to me like the most important thing I encourage people to be thinking about. You know, of course, if you're in the industry, you don't necessarily want more competition. So um, <laughs> it's, unless you're struggling to have supply, uh, right? And so maybe you want your suppliers to be able to stand up businesses, but uh uh, you know, there's different, different points of view at play here. I mean, it sounds like when you talk about the complexities of, uh, the cannabis industry and CBD and hemp and different, you know, and, and the differences between state to state, you almost get excited about it because I, I I'm making some assumptions here based on what we've talked about earlier is it's kind of what your, your software helps overcome or helps achieve. So, I mean, is that true when you think about, you know, you've been throwing enough curveballs, and that's kind of going to be your, your thing where you're going to help these companies, you know, manage the stuff through their software. Is that, is that safe to say that not necessarily gets you super excited, but you're not afraid of it. And, and it's just another challenge you see coming your way. I mean, more, more businesses that are running and the bigger they can get, the more customers I have. So it's in, all, it's in my interest to, uh, to see as many businesses get stood up and, and be successful as possible. So we, we can, we can, um, you know, help them and, and license the software to them. We don't help in the, in the licensing process. I mean, you know, occasionally we'll give some folks some tips on, you know, what to write in for some SOPs and stuff, but, um, you know, it's a whole different set of, of, of needs to just get through the process. But once you have that, that license, I mean, yeah, my, my goal is to, to see people get licenses as quickly as possible and to get up and running as quickly as possible because, you know, they can't really be a customer of us until they have, you know, things moving through the facility. And, uh, um, you know, I, that, that's, uh, it does get me excited thinking about, you know, and seeing these states work. I mean, it's, we've, we've seen a bunch of states come online and seen all the ups and downs of 
doing it. And, you know, I've had, I've had, I have clients today that, you know, committed to us like two years. You know, I have one client that finally have uh, most of their operation is up and the manufacturing, the grow, um, the retail is pending. Um, we wanted to go live with retail uh, in July, 2019. Uh, our estimated date is October, November of this year. So two plus years, that's the journey. I mean, you know, if people think that, I mean, some people get through it a lot quicker, but it's just, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I, I can't imagine being on their shoes and, and thinking, putting the business plan together in 2017, 2018, raising the money, finding the site, and then two years plus, three years almost of, uh, of all the work to get that thing actually working and up, you know, yeah, a lot of yeah, things yeah. Out, outside of your control. Right. And, and putting together performance that, you know, or figuring out and almost guaranteeing, you know, having a cultivation, uh, you know, kind of up and running uh, is sometimes would be a scary thing to see because sometimes that first crop or two isn't, you know, doesn't work out the way you want. And that changes the uh, well, changes know, performance. Some, some people didn't budget to, uh, you know, have no revenue for six months as they waited on some rubber stamp to be able to, to plant. Right. So, uh, right. You look in LA, like there's hundreds of social equity applicants that, you know, procured leases, procured, you know, spent time with attorneys, got their applications done, kind of the whole debacle and getting it submitted. And what's been issued? Nothing. Years. Like we're almost two years. Like, like just glad we made all, we glad in the name of, you know, equity and fairness, we wanted everyone to jump through all these processes and hoop, you know, to, to get, to do the right thing, right. To set up a shop legally, you know, to be ready to do it. And then we're just not going to issue a license for a year plus. It's crazy. With, I mean, like what, what incentive is there to, I mean, why wouldn't you just go down the street, find a building, put up a sign and start selling weed? I mean, right. I mean, like, what, I mean, like, uh, like what incentive is there to jump through, you know, thousands of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars of licensing and, and, you know, long nights and all the paperwork and finding and doing it right with your landlord and getting it all negotiated and going to the application process. If we're not going to issue the license, I mean, what's the point? Right. So, <laughs> crazy. Well, and when I hear you talk about, you know, floors, one thing I, I, I don't want to overlook and I'd love to get a little insights is sounds like you guys have been a pretty agile, uh, you know, the way you deliver, uh, the way you guys are serving your clients, like how have it, what's the internal culture? Like, I mean, clearly you guys are very adaptable, but how have you built a culture that is, uh, that can handle all of this and build a piece of software in a new industry and, overcome new challenges it seems like almost daily or weekly i mean you know i'll just reason teamwork is one of our core values so uh it's all about the team it's all about the communication we live in slack um 99 of our communication is in slack uh we we've always been in slack we've been in zoom for you know years uh as well so um we you know i think virtue of having like industrial engineering degree and uh put it's all about systems, all about these feedback loops, a lot of alignment. We work across five different time zones, um, you know, so like, and across a couple languages. So uh, we, uh, it's all around communication and, and alignment. Um, we release new code every other week. Uh, we take something from concept through deployment, sometimes in two weeks, you know, sometimes in two months. It just depends on the complexity and what it needs to, what we need to deliver. Um, it's, uh, you gotta, we, we gotta always remind ourselves and focus on the success because uh, there's, you know, there's plenty of 
of difficulties and noise and frustration. And, you know, um, you've, you've probably been around the industry. There's a lot of personalities, so, uh, it's, uh, it's fun, but you know, the culture is good. It's, um, it's, you know, we have a, a good PTO policy, you know, we give shout outs to each other. We, uh, try to bring some fun into the day to day and, um, uh, and yeah, it's just all about, it's all about the team at the end of the day. What are the, what are some learning lessons that you've had around as it relates to hiring talent? I mean, it's a lot harder than it seems. So, uh, hiring just always takes longer than you want it to be in order to take, uh, it's, um, you know, having to define process is key. You know, we've, we've, I, I feel really good. Like we've, we've had, um, we definitely had a couple of mishires that were, uh, you know, that, that didn't hit the mark. Um, but I think every company that's growing, is going to have one or two, uh, but we've, we've really hired really well. And, you know, what I say, like what I've seen is that this industry is so exciting that like certain talented individuals just are so eager to get into it. And one of the things when, when I'm talking, you know, to prospects is like seeing that passion and screening for that, um, you know, like looking at some of our best employees, like they've had that passion coming in and, you know, um, uh, it, it matters because, you know, skill set is obviously fundamental, but the ability to um, have the mindset and the attitude and the, um, you know, have that fire in your belly to be successful and make this industry successful is like critical, right? And that can even make up for some deficiencies in skill set because you, this is not a nine to five. It's not a punch in, punch out, um, right? Um, and I've worked in, you know, the 65,000 employee corporate world, uh, right? Where, you know, this is just a completely different animal. Um, so uh, I don't know. Hire, like there's good talent out there. Um, and, you know, it process matters. Uh, you know, we try to get references. We do get references. We do practical tests where at all practical to do, um, you know, and we, uh, um, uh, we're always, we're always looking for talent and trying to keep that talent pipeline, um, full because, you know, and, you know, we're still a relatively early stage company and, you know, um, we're not hiring every single day, but when we're ready to hire, we're usually ready to pull the trigger pretty quickly. So we like to keep people warm if we can. And, it's painful sometimes when you find that perfect person and you don't quite have budget or need for them and you want to, you want to kind of hold on to them for six months, but you know, sometimes that, that makes sense. And, you know, we've done that with, with people that are happily employed somewhere, but ready to make the jump as soon as we can give them the thumbs up and then they come in and we, we run with it. So. Got it. It sounds like you're pretty proactive in your hiring practices, which is. Uh, we try to why, be. Why you've been pretty successful. So that actually what I've picked up from there that I want to dig into is, um, you know, th- you guys build software, like you guys aren't actually touching flower. I mean, maybe you do when you go to a customer site, but that was when my head, what I was thinking is like, how important is it for people that work for flourish for people that are thinking about working for flourish? How important is it that they're passionate about cannabis? Like, do they have a personal connection to the actual plant? And you've kind of indicated that, yes, that's the case. Is that, I mean, what, what percentage of the people that you employ, is that important to um, in, in the software side of things? So I think it's important to be aligned with the mission um, of the industry and the mission of what we're trying to accomplish and the why behind, you know, all this, why all this matters. Um, fundamentally, like having grown before or worked in an operation or, you know, knowing, you know, all the biology of all of it. I mean, it's, depends on the role like a lot of times it's the nice to have it's not a must-have right like a lot of that stuff is learned is you know you can learn and 
for me, the ability for, a, you know, an employee to learn and, and have an appetite for, for learning and having that curiosity, another, another core value we talk about um, and another core thing to the job, because, you know, like I, I expect all of our employees to be pushing themselves professionally and, 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 and learning and developing that knowledge. So you might not, like I'd never been into an extraction facility before and I had a ton about extraction now, or, you know, I, I, you know, you think growing a plant is growing a plant, but like not until you talk to a real grower or, you know, and you look at all the nuances to it, do you know, like, wow, this is way beyond anything I would have thought. Um, I think it's important. I don't think it's a must have. I don't think people that want to do this industry should feel, Oh, well, I've never, never been in it. So I can't be in it. Like it's all learnable. I mean, you just have to have an interest and passion to learn it. And, you know, you just have to care at the end of the day, you have to care about your customers. You have to care about the success of what's happening and care about like, you know, why this all matters. So, um, you know, it's, it's a nice to have, it's preferred in some things. Like it's if you're in a sales role, like, and you know, the talk and you know, the industry, you know, the culture, it makes your job easier, but you know, it's not required. Like one of my top sales people came, I think he was selling like dental and dental software or something before i don't remember what it was it was it definitely wasn't cannabis right uh passionate passionate for the industry though and you know and um and you know that's what that's what matters did you at speaking of and i'll put you on the spot a little bit but did you have personal like connection to cannabis before um and this has been a i've had this conversation on this show before where i've had people like hey sorry mom i, I smoke weed when i was younger type of like admit so you don't have to get to that point but what, what did you have some, um, some, some sort of personal, uh, passion for the plan or like bef before you even got into it, what was your view on, uh, cannabis and the industry? I mean, I've always, always enjoyed it recreationally, like, you know, my whole life. So, um, you know, it's, uh, uh, it's awesome to be a walk in the store and buy good stuff whenever you want it and have some choice and, and whatnot. So, you know, I wouldn't say that I was like a, a daily or even necessarily weekly user all my life, but, you know, I, um, it's just, you know, how it was like before today, like, you know, it's, if you had weed around, you had it, you could go buy it if you wanted to, there's always dealer, it's always plentiful. It's, it's kind of crazy. Cause like, you know, it's never in my life did I ever think that it would be, it was difficult to procure cannabis, right? Like it, I know it's been you know banned since, uh, for like, you know, for a long time, but like been a healthy, long, long industry, you know, it's always been part of our, our culture and, you know, and society. So, um, no, I've, I've always had a, a very positive, uh, and favorable view of, of wanting to legalize when I was, even when I was in high school, I was like, so amazed that hemp had all these, you know, it's like, wow, you can make paper out of it. You make rope out of it. You can feed stock with hemp seeds, like, fiber like what what the hell like we use this for hundreds of years as part of our history and then suddenly we got caught up in some like racist ban for drugs and like some hysteria and now and now cut down old growth forest to make toilet paper like that's what we're doing cutting down 300 200 300 year trees to make toilet paper and print out print out like coffee paper and like uh and make you know, we're, we're like using all these like petrochemicals to grow cotton to make clothes when you could just use like a carbon net negative, you know, re, re, sustainable crop to do this. Like, that's crazy, you know? And then I was really, I had a cool bio, biodiesel project when I was in high school. I, I did. Um, and you can even, you know, think about like, oh, you can even use this to do the oils for, um, you know, for fuel and stuff like that. And then, um, but it, but then at that point, it all seemed like a pipe dream, right? Like there wasn't a real legitimate path to like 
see it mature. And when I went to college, like some of that, you know, was in the back of my head. I was more focused on school and, you know, and I jumped into the supply chain industry and um, the software world. Just, I wanted to get into consulting and ended up being in software and um, not knowing any, really anything about software until, you know, I learned a lot that first week or two. And, um, and then, you know, boom, here we are. Uh, and uh, it's here in a real way. So, yeah, I've always, I mean, had a huge passion for it. So. I, you know, I lately, I don't know why, but one of my guilty pleasures of watching stuff is like, like narco wars and all that stuff to think about all the people that were killed before the marijuana drug trade through the particular, the Mexican border is crazy to even think like, you know, they did just wiped out that industry because now it's legit and it's, you know, now it's legit, uh, wiped <laughs> out that, that trade because legit in, in the industry. But I always just, I'm fascinated by looking back thinking like what people went through so much trouble and now it's just legal here. It's just absolutely amazing. You know, but we're not all the way there, right? They just busted a huge grow um, in California last week, week before. It's an estimated street value of a billion dollars. That that made the news. I don't know if that's true or not, but you know, I mean, like, still so much, so far to go. I mean, we we you know, like, we supply the world with cannabis, right? And the international trade is not legal. We can't even legally trade across state lines. So. Um, you know, there's still a long way to go, but yeah, I don't know. I think it's fascinating. I think it's, it's just sad and, and shameful that we've arrested so many people and created so much terror here in this country and around the world in the name of like stopping people from smoking a joint. It makes no sense. Um, in the medical side of this industry is, is fascinating and like super rewarding. And, you know, when you talk to people that, um, that this has changed their life and like, there's not just one or two, there's like thousands and thousands of these people across the country tens of thousands i mean uh you know maybe if you really look at you know the whole picture and looking at you know potentially millions of people that are getting some sort of medicinal value uh, out of the plant um and uh i don't know it's 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 shameful that we can't move a little bit faster on some of this um at the same time it all takes time agreed so. agreed hey go, going back just uh one thing i want to touch on and then i'm going to get more into kind of a rapid fire questions uh section and then then we'll they'll wrap up this has been amazing though i appreciate everything that you're you're sharing um so during uh we had covid happen while you're building this business and i always each show i've been kind of asking just cuz i i'm personally very interested and i think most people listening are very interested but like what are some of the positive things that came from COVID. I know it probably made some things more of a pain in the ass for you in building your piece of software and some customers were affected by it. Uh, but what were the, what were some good takeaways uh, in, in things, both personally and professionally that uh, happened to you uh, during COVID that, that you look back on and you you feel like you're kind of blessed for going through it? Well, we figured out how to deploy this software completely remotely, uh, which is much more efficient in time and, and energy and, and, and lower cost for our customers. So that was amazing. And I'm talking like some pretty big deployments, right? With people with several thousand items on, like SKUs on hand, um, you know, multiple warehouses and stuff like that. So that was a, a big positive. Uh, I love the concept of talent density. So, you know, we, we made some cuts, unfortunately, during COVID, some folks that we liked working with uh, personally, but, you know, what we were left was, uh, with, was uh, a much denser pool of just our top performers, right? So, and, and they top performers play off of each other. And so, you know, we, we saw like significant output, you know, over the last year and a lesson that, you know, it's always hard to, um, to trim down if you need to trim down, but like most companies, everyone looked at the future and said, who knows what, what's going to be happening. We need to make, 
you know, we need to be, be thoughtful about that and make sure that the organization is prepared to weather, you know, what could have been a really bad storm. Fortunately, it seemed like it was only a year and change it took for us to get out of it. Um, you know, we had folks that on our team whose family members died, uh, you know, it's super, super challenging, but, um, uh, on that, that perspective, but, um, yeah, a couple of those, those are a couple, couple of good wins we had from, from COVID. Uh, you know, it's, thankful that we were deemed an essential industry and, you know, and everything didn't come to a grinding halt because that would have been disastrous. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. All right. Well, man, this has been absolutely awesome. I'm going to move into some more rapid fire questions. So, uh, short answers, or, you know, yep. even if you just say skip to the next one, great, but I'll give you a handful of them and then, uh, we'll wrap up. Uh, what's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? Check my email. <laughs> guilty <laughs> no that's all, that's good i love the I, I love the honesty uh what's your favorite book or what's a book that you've read more than once Ooh, i'm gonna skip that there's a lot of them i re- <laughs> i <laughs> no, no problem which which person has had the greatest impact on your life um Those, that person has changed every three years of my life. Uh, and I think that if you look back, if I look back on my life, uh, it's a series of, you know, half dozen people that have significantly moved, moved the needle every couple of years. So um, it's a longer list than one, one answer. Oh, that's awesome. You're, you sound like you're pretty blessed to have some pretty cool people in your life. What's something that you're waiting to check off your bucket list? Uh, I still haven't made it to China, so we'll see what that looks like. <laughs> if you could teach uh, school children a subject, what subject would you teach them? History. Are you a morning oh. or night person? I, this is, I'm curious about this since you're, you're kind of on the tech side. Are you a morning or night person? Uh, I start really early, but I, I love working at night. So I'm more of a night person, uh, but I start super early every day. Got it. And what's, uh, what's the most spontaneous thing that you've done lately? Um, I just did an awesome trip to Montana. Wasn't really in the plans this year, but buddy had a cabin, made the trip and it was amazing. Go to Glacier before they all melt. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds amazing. No, I'm sitting up in uh, Northern Idaho as we speak right now. So I'm kind of, uh, picking up on, on some of the, the great weather up here, uh, mm-hmm. similar to, similar to there, but, um, all right, well, that's, um, that's it. You've been listening to the built on purpose podcast with Max Hansen brought to you by Y scouts. You can listen to all of our past and future podcasts at yscouts.com. Colton, you get the last word. What advice would you give to our audience to help them excel both either in their personal life or their professional life? I, I would say, you know, stay focused, write down your goals and revisit them regularly. Um, you know, there's nothing like having a written plan uh, and, and, and nothing's real until you either see it or do it. So uh, don't be afraid to take that plunge. Amen, brother. Thanks a lot for your Thanks, time Max. today. This was amazing. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much. All right, man. That was, uh, see, that was an hour that goes by so fast. I know <laughs> you may have to do some editing, but no, it was, it was a good conversation. I appreciate the questions. Hopefully no, I'm you, droning on too much. No, no, you didn't at all. Honestly, there was so much uh, that you touched on that I think 
a lot of people are curious about because what I started to when I start to ask people specifically that listen to the cannabis uh, episodes, I think that they're really wanting to know like this the more simplified like blocking and tackling stuff about cannabis. Like I had you know this guy Eric Wright that runs uh, Eric White that runs Wright CBD and. So before I approached it, I started asking people like, what would you want to know about CBD companies? And it was more like really basic stuff. Like, why should I take CBD? Like all these things that you could easily Google, but I think they want to hear people talk about it. So for you to talk from uh, your perspective about all the things you did about, you know, where, what's going on with the industry. I was even going to mention that, that California stuff, uh, you know, super interesting. It, yeah, so all of it was great, man. I can't tell you how much I appreciate your time and, um, Honestly, that went extremely well. I know you, everybody's pretty critical about, you know, kind of how they answered stuff and how they talk, but uh, I was, I'm super happy with, with how that turned out for you. And uh, I'll make sure that I send you, uh, uh, send you a copy of it as soon as it's done. Hey, well, I really appreciate the opportunity. I mean, it's always great to get on phone chat. I feel like our, our prep call was a little all over the place. I think I, <laughs> but no, this, this went really well. It was also weeks ago. I can't even remember what we talked about. Um, so, uh, cause we, we kind of had this pushed out a little bit, uh, further. So no, no I, that... I pre- appreciate the opportunity. It's always nice to, to have a, a, vo- a chance to chat. Of course. No, I thought the prep call actually, believe it or not, went good. Cause I like to know just like enough, like random things to know, like kind of as like the conversation goes on. So I, I thought it ended up being perfect. Cause if I get too detailed on the prep call, then I don't, don't ask some very basic stuff that a normal listener would want to hear. Or, or sometimes it's harder for me because I'm repeating myself and you're kind of in your head, like, didn't we talk, you know, why would this guy ask me that twice? But uh, no, it went extremely well. I'll keep in touch with you. If you need anything from me ever, just give me a holler and uh, we're here for you. Will do. Same here. I really appreciate it. And uh, thanks so much. Have a great, um, uh, great rest of your week and uh, good luck uh, and continuing to, to make all this a success. It's been, it's been cool. I appreciate it. Awesome. Yeah. I've got a golf tournament for uh, the next few days that I got to go figure out how to hit a golf ball. Cause I have, I've been focusing on work and not golf. So we're going to see how that, that uh, translates to, to the golf course, not practicing <laughs> yeah. golf and then playing golf usually isn't that great of a thing, but we'll, well see. You know, you can enjoy some beer. So (laughs) (laughs) that's right. right. All right. That's right. We'll catch up with you soon. Thank you so much. Same. Have a good one. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Built on Purpose podcast, where on each episode, we interview exceptional leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, philosophers, and some straight up interesting people to explore their outlook on life, work, and leadership. You can hear any of our previous shows 24-7 right here on Star Worldwide Networks or wherever you get your podcasts.